Thinkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project co-founder and editor-in-chief, Matt Agrist. Our guest today is somebody we should have had on the show a long time ago, but we finally coordinated our schedules for this very special podcast on a day that has significance in the Free Thought Project history. Today's guest is Carrie Wedler. Carrie is best known as a video blogger who has created countless viral videos she has written for Fee, which is the Foundation for Economic Education, and prior to that, she was the Anti-Media's Editor-in-Chief from 2014 to 2018. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Glad you could join us today. For those of you who don't know, today is the three-year anniversary of the Great Facebook Purge, which happened in 2018. And both of our organizations, including 800 other pages and accounts, suffered the same fate. During that time, you were the senior editor for the anti-media, and um, both of our outlets were reaching millions of people, making huge impact uh, within the online news industry. So we decided to have you on so we can commiserate, because after all, misery loves company, right? So just a reminder, there were several mass callings of pages. Uh, we were among the first to be removed from the site. Uh, it was still at that time kind of shocking for most people to learn what happened to us. But now, you know, everybody seems to experience some sort of shadow banning, censorship, removal of pages. It's almost become commonplace. So as a good start to this conversation, can you explain how the decision made by both Facebook and Twitter execs to censor us? Because let's not forget, uh, Twitter also deleted hundreds of accounts, including ours. Um, how their decision changed the trajectory of your life and working within the news industry? Yeah, so anti-media was sort of my dream job that I didn't know I wanted. I started off in this activism world making YouTube videos, and that's how I connected with the people at anti-media. And it became such a huge part of my life in a sense that I got to talk about things that I really deeply cared about, that I felt really affected the world. And it really, you know, aside from the idea of, yeah, I have a lot of followers, forget that. It was We were reaching people with ideas and with information that we felt was really important to change the paradigm, because I think very few people today would argue that the paradigm is fine. You know, like, regardless of your political beliefs, your ideology, the one thing a lot of people can agree on is that it's not working. Whatever you think the solution is, it's not working. And I think that it felt so empowering to be able to reach people who cared, to connect with people who wanted this information and to give them this information and to do it so freely back then. Um, so, you know, on a personal level, it was quite devastating to lose that voice, really, especially when it, we weren't even really given a reason and we were never, our appeals were never responded to. I was personally banned from Twitter and my appeal, I mean, it, it literally said, specifically for blank, blank. They gave no reason, you know? And then when they finally denied my appeal, it was another nonsense reason. That it was like, you can't artificially manipulate user experiences on Twitter, which, I mean, come on, 
who came up with that. You know, that was a human who supplied that response as far as I know. And I have no idea, you know, it wasn't based in reality. It wasn't based in actual violations of guidelines. So it was demoralizing, of course. Um, it sort of, it, it caused me to have to unfortunately think smaller and to accept that, okay, I guess we're not going to be reaching tens of millions of people anymore. And it was frustrating. And I don't want to say that that was their intention because they were so cagey about it. We don't know their real intention to this day. We'll probably never know unless there's a whistleblower who decides to come out and expose how it actually all happened. But I think, unfortunately, it was it was a wake up call that we all knew was coming. We just didn't know that it was going to happen so quickly because it was that August that Alex Jones was banned. And a lot of people shrugged it off like, oh, well, fuck this guy. You know, he's a disinformation, misinformation peddler. He's a sensationalist, whatever. But a lot of us, when that happened in August, were like, uh oh, <laughs> like, we can see what's coming. And I thought we had a little bit more time, but we didn't. So it was both a wake up call and it was a, a real push to reroute the way I viewed spreading information that I feel is valuable to people and to changing the world. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly humbling. You know, we were sitting on top of the alt media world there after, you know, right. five years of of hard work, you know, rightfully so. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it was taken away from us. And I don't even think I've mentioned this on this podcast, but um, I had just bought a house. It was my very first house oh. we had ever owned. And, and this happened two weeks afterwards. So oh. it, it was pretty devastating. And yeah, we've been pretty much in repair mode ever since. But and you um, found out you were having a baby. You, well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> Thanks, Facebook. Thanks, Twitter. Um, but do you honestly believe that we were like a threat to the ruling class and the establishment media? Because like, after all, tabloids have been around for decades. And um, before the recent acknowledgement of, you know, quote, a misinformation crisis, as the media puts it, um, it was only when we had the tools to combat their lies and narratives has it become a problem. You know, like tabloids were never questioned. Uh, and tabloids never questioned the establishment narratives. You know, they were too busy right. covering UFO sightings and Bat Boy. <laughs> so, like, um, you know, do you feel like uh, because we threatened their control mechanisms, uh, they actually pulled us down? Or, I mean, obviously, this is all speculation because we don't know. But, I mean, is that your honest belief? Right. You know, I go back and forth and like to reiterate, we can't prove it. It is speculation. But I will say that, like, as you were saying, the tabloids don't challenge any narratives. If anything, I think they serve to reinforce people's belief in statism in this paradigm because it sort of marginalizes any dissenting beliefs, however ridiculous they are. And that's the point. It makes them seem so absurd that only a fool, only a crazy person would dare question the system. And I think that what we both did so effectively, both the Free Thought Project, Police to Police, anti-media, all of us, we weren't just putting information out there as far as like, look how corrupt the system is. We were actually questioning the legitimacy of the state. We were questioning the legitimacy of the media, of the gatekeepers, and we were doing it effectively. It wasn't like, oh, we had a page with 5,000 followers and we were reaching, you know, a few hundred people a week or however, you know, the algorithms work based on however many followers you have. We were reaching a significant number of people. And I remember Standing Rock, that was, I think, 2000. Oh, man, all the years have flown by. I think it was 2016 or seven. Obama was still in office. So it was 2016, I think. Yeah, it was 2016. Or maybe, yeah, it was 2016. And the mainstream media hadn't covered it. They were intentionally not covering it. Hmm, I wonder why. Well, it was a perfect example of corporate collusion, exploitation, the Obama administration completely defying its public image and brand by going against native tribes that had had that land 
via legal documents, via treaties, and then corporation using the state to, to tread on their land, to take their land, and the media would not cover it. And as far as I remember, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I saw, as far as I knew, it was independent media pushing the issue that sort of put the mainstream media in a position to have to cover it. And it wasn't just the Free Thought Project. It wasn't just anti-media. It was Unicorn Riot. I remember those are those were they they were people on the ground. They were live streaming, it, and those videos were getting so much reach that, as far as I know, or maybe as much, just I want to believe it. I could be wrong. Again, you know, don't take my word for it. Go go back and look at the news coverage and how it changed. As far as I know. We were a, a formidable entity as the independent media that forced the media, the mainstream media, the corporate media to cover something they otherwise would have ignored and downplayed. And it became, an, like, as far as I know, an international thing. And you can't have that, right? You can't question the system to that extent. And how much longer was it? I mean, at that point, I think it was after Trump won, really, that we started having a bunch of algorithmic issues. Our reach started dropping, right? And it, it was just so interesting to see how in lockstep big tech, big tech and the media became as far as suppressing dissenting views and just blaming it all on Russia. That's so true. And Standing Rock is one of many examples that the alternative media world helped push into the mainstream. You know, we actually had a, we had Claire Burnish on the ground at that time um, in Standing Rock. You know, it was a it was a shit show over there from from what I understand of her, you know, her recollection of everything. But yeah, when these videos, and especially Unicorn Riot, they were they were huge in that. They're they're everywhere somehow. By the way, Unicorn <laughs> Riot is on the ground at everything. Like they're like yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a big network that a lot of people belong to, but they are like on the ground live streaming at everything. But yeah, the, those videos were they couldn't be ignored anymore. And you you would see these you know these riot police just it'd be freezing like twenty six degrees outside, or or even sometimes below zero and. They're spraying, you know, spraying protesters with um, peaceful protesters with with fire hoses and and not just that shooting with rubber bullets, beating them down. You know, this was this was hard. To, once once these videos and everything and all the reporting on the ground started getting out there, they couldn't ignore it. And, yeah, I agree. Like this was this probably caught them off guard. You know, I, by them, I mean, like the mainstream establishment Praetorian Guard media that that just, you know, protects the status quo. And they saw the power of that. And I, I mean, again, like it, it is speculation, but I do believe that, you know, we we scared the shit out of them <laughs> and and uh, and they we were a force to be reckoned with. And then, you know, it took it took the next year for them to plan or next two years for them to plan how to to wipe us out, you know, and Trump played a, a huge role in that, I believe, with this fake news you know, bullshit. Like he, he might've thought that he was like fighting fake news, but he like helped in the war <laughs> on censorship by being it, you know, and right. it is it just, it culminated on, on, you know, October, uh, that October 11th. So it's crazy. I, I like, I don't, uh, I don't know if you guys were on that list. It was shortly after the 2000 election, the Washington post came out with an article, I think it was November 24th. So this is within two or three weeks after Trump won. And they came out with this article saying Russia had engaged in this massive disinformation effort to spread fake news ahead of the election. And there was this shadowy group called Proper Not. Were you guys on that list? And we were so. on that list. Yeah, we were yeah. on Proper Not's list. Yeah. Right. And they were an anonymous group, you know, like flying in the face of journalistic standards. You know, they're citing this group. They don't they, who who are these people? We still don't know who. <laughs> and they claim they needed anonymity. Just, you know, like all these anonymous CIA leaks that, about Russia that. 
ended up being, you know, who knows if they were true. We still don't know. But the general population that was fed these articles and believed them, like they, they will swear to the death that it's true. But I remember reading that document and they uh, one of the requirements for being flagged is either an agent of Russian disinformation or a useful idiot because we're just so stupid. We'd accidentally spread Russian propaganda. One of the one of the tenants or one of the requirements of that was questioning U.S. foreign policy. And what did both of our outlets do so much, you know, because the only possible reason you would oppose the U.S. empire and the military industrial complex is that you're an agent of another empire, really. <laughs> like That's the only reason. And I think that I think as soon as they started lumping us in with that and using Russia as a as a broad spectrum umbrella as justification to demonize us, that's when the reach started dropping. And I know you guys saw it, too, Our as far as Facebook reach. That year, those couple years before we were banned, things got very difficult for us. It became increasingly difficult to reach our audiences. No matter how many followers we had, it became harder to grow our pages. And I think that was the beginning of the end. And of course, I remember on the day we were banned, that anonymous group on Twitter was mocking us, calling us Russian agents and laughing that we were removed. And that just speaks so much, I think, to the hypocrisy of like, this is all founded on the idea that we're disinformation and we're fake news and we're bad for society and it's not safe for democracy. And yet the people peddling these narratives are violating their own standards. And to me, that speaks so much to the entire system that we were trying to fight. Yeah, it's sure easy to be bold and outspoken when you have the establishment backing you, right? Right. And uh, Yeah, I mean, those people are clowns. I, I certainly remember that. I think there was a professor even before that, like a few months before that, who also made her own list. I think yes. the proper not people. It also, was a Google um, Doc. <laughs> Right. And I, yeah. Crazily enough, that. that story is that story is still up. I, ju I just had to Google that to make sure. And it is still right. up. Russian propaganda effort helps spread mm -hmm. fake news during election, experts say. And and uh, oh, they have a they have a like a an, an update to it. But, you know, yeah. we're still it's on that list. And everything. Yeah. <laughs> that update is like, oh, well, uh, we never said that, that, you know, but they acknowledged it. They acknowledge because because even like. I remember Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi of Rolling Stone. I don't know if he still writes Rolling Stone, but they both came out swinging against that article because they're genuine journalists. And they're like, no, this is not acceptable journalism. And there was enough backlash that they had to acknowledge that this was not really a credible report, but it's still up there. Yeah, we yeah. should sue Washington Post for slander. Yeah. And we could, we could tie it into revenue loss and everything for years. We should do that. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. Taibbi was the only mainstream journalist, um, and you know, even that's debatable at this point. He he was right. working for Rolling Stone, but he was the only one who contacted us, and only yeah. one who published our story. He did an interview with me, and in fact, I got my picture somehow in the Rolling Stone magazine, which is yeah, still kind of surprising to me. Yeah, because I <laughs> spent years as a musician, and you know, I I think uh, somehow you know it just kind of blows my mind that Evans in Rolling Stone for activism rather than music. But um, I have that print edition. You're in my coffee <laughs> table. <laughs> oh, awesome, that's wonderful. Well, yeah, they they definitely name you guys and uh, the anti media as, as far as um, what I'm referring to when I say you guys and Nick Burnaby. <laughs> uh, shout out to Nick. He's the founder of the anti media. But um, I did want to say, you know, it's a little bit while back we were talking about Trump and how things changed. I'm so glad you guys brought that up because I, I try to bring this up almost in every interview that I do. And I feel like that's so significant, right? Because uh, Trump won and the establishment wasn't expecting that. 
In fact, we weren't even expecting that. We thought right. Hillary Clinton was going to win. I had a handful of Hillary Clinton memes already made, ready right. to go. I had to delete those, unfortunately. But <laughs> I think we were all kind of shocked, including the, the establishment. And so that's when we noticed things changed pretty dramatically. Before that, we saw our reach dropping, as Carrie had pointed out, even though we spent five years building our pages and it increasingly had more and more fans. You know, we were still... By the time we had 3.1 million fans, we were reaching the same amount we had when we had 200,000 fans. So it didn't make any sense, right? And uh, it was the great Facebook bait and switch, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I mean, that's when we saw the the fake news narrative be rolled out. That's when we saw the whole Russia collusion narrative be rolled out. And both of these things were useful tools for the establishment to put you know, the crackdown on alternative publishers like ourselves. And of course, they didn't do that directly. They had big tech do that. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's insane. You know, that's when the whole misinformation, you know, fake news uh, narrative blew up. And like you guys said, it kind of unfortunately undermined Trump's application for it. And, you know, at this point, like we hear all the time about misinformation, about how social media is destroying the fabric of society, which is preposterous and absurd in its own right. But this constant focus on misinformation and fake news do you think it's a legitimate problem or is the establishment once again gaslighting the American people to make them believe that social media companies who have billions of users should do more to somehow magically squash misinformation more effectively? And, and like, what's the end game? Will they ever be satisfied with the level of censorship that thousands of users like us are experiencing? Well, that's what's so interesting is we were kind of like the first, aside from Alex Jones, we were kind of the first shot I, I don't know the expression, but like we were the first ones through the door and we got shot. You know, I, I there's a there's a more concise way, way to say that. But we were sort of a, the first the first shot in one of in this long standing battle, because as we look at 2021, that window of allowable opinion keeps shrinking. And that's not to say that, like, the things we talk about are completely banned, that you can't say them. But as far as the way they manipulate the algorithms, as far as the way they do the shadow bans, you know, it's. I mean, I, I think very few people who are aware of the issues we care about, whether that's police brutality or war or corporatism or just general freedom and civil liberties, you know, I, I think a lot of people, even who weren't outright banned, they've seen their reach drop. And um, it's absolutely a gaslight, of course. And that's not to say that all independent media is accurate, because that was sort of that was kind of my one relief when we were banned was like, oh, OK, <laughs> it's exhausting to constantly try to to set a standard for accuracy in media and in independent media because there is a lot of bad information and a lot of sensationalism however the notion that these mainstream media companies are somehow arbiters of reliable information and truth is so freaking laughable based on history and anyone who is a critical thinker regardless of of your ideology whatever you think the solutions are i mean I don't know how well known this is, but when we were banned, that was, okay, that was October, 2018. If I'm remembering correctly, I believe in May, may give or take a couple months, Facebook and Twitter had announced that they would be working with the Atlantic Council in order to, yes. to, to make these platforms safe for democracy, which I find very funny because like this entire notion of making the world safe for democracy was actually a propaganda term created by one of America's greatest propagandists who helped facilitate World War One and was making propaganda for CIA coup or a coup in Guatemala in 1954, Edward Bernays. And that was you can watch a documentary. It's called The Century of the Self. And he's openly like he's like in old age at this point. And he's like, that was our slogan. Make the world safe for democracy. 
And now you have all of these giant corporations that prop up the military industrial complex and the media grandstanding with their moral righteousness about how they're going to keep all keep democracy safe. And it wasn't that it was like the board of directors at the Atlantic Council, which is it's they weren't the ones making the calls as far as I can tell. But that's headed by ex-CIA agents, ex-military or not agents, but, you know, people involved with maybe agents. I'm not positive, but you can go look up the people who run the Atlantic Council. Those are the people in charge. And they I believe it was called the Digital Forensics Research Lab. Yep. That's yep. who. Yeah, that's who was working with uh, both Facebook and Twitter. To, to purge everyone of misinformation. And at the same time, it might have been slightly earlier than all the years have blurred together. But within that that date range, um, they had made these partnerships with mainstream media companies, like literally Fox News. Fox News was considered a reliable source on Facebook and they were going to be given reach and they were going to have partnerships with Facebook in order to <laughs> like, what? How can you not like none of these narratives that they, they all fly in the face of each other. Like ask any person who believes in 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 social media bans for the sake of saving democracy if Fox News is a legitimate source of news. They're gonna say no because they're very much democratic establishment. And yet that's okay. It's okay for Fox News to be on there. And I'm not defending Fox. I mean, Fox is just the right-wing corporate shill. You know, I'm not saying that that they should be defended, but it, it's just again that hypocrisy and really comes down again to that gaslighting. Like how dare you question these known entities that lie and spread government propaganda? You're crazy. You're an evil actor. You must be banned. You're not allowed to have a voice. When I would argue that, yes, misinformation is absolutely an issue in both corporate media and independent media. But which lies have probably gotten more people killed? I'm going to go with the people who spread lies for the empire and got a bunch of civilians killed because they they were able to rile up support and consent or, you know, consent is a loaded term for, for our, our philosophy, but they were able to get people to accept these endless wars. And as a result, thousands, hundreds of thousands have died. So it's, it's again, it's just laughable to me that they think they have some sort of moral high ground. And yeah, not to mention uh, these, these organizations, these news companies, um, they've been turned into fact checkers as third party <laughs> fact checkers for Facebook. And, and let's just touch on this for a second. Okay. These people yeah. are our competition. They're in a different league than us completely. I'll admit that. But at the end of the day, we're all publishers, right? So now Facebook has given these people the ability to demonize certain organizations, certain outlets, certain publishers by giving them fake news strikes. And then this is the best part. When you want to try to appeal these fake news strikes, you actually have to address and send an email to these organizations, hmm. PolitiFact, AP News fact check. I'm right now debating with USA Today fact checkers through email. And, and trust me, these people do not want to admit that they're wrong, right? They're invested in their perspectives. They have internal bias already. So they don't want to do anything to acquiesce to the fact that they are wrong. So it, the cards are stacked against us. And just by the very nature of the system that Facebook has created for these fact checkers, the, the big corporate establishment news is going to win, you know, and they are. And we've already seen a downturn in traffic. We've already seen uh, a downturn in people, uh, you know, trusting our, our reputation, our reliability. So in a sense, they have taken, you know, a fatal blow to alt media and indie media. And um, just just recently, actually, September 24th, uh, the New York Post covered a story about Jen Psaki. She went on NBC's um, MSNBC's Morning Joe show or whatever. I don't even know what that is. 
and called for even more censorship on social media <laughs> while discussing a recent report that highlighted the negative effects that Instagram and Facebook could have on young teens. Um, in my opinion, this was the perfect, perfect opportunity to prime the masses for the most recent Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hogan, I think that's how you say your name, yeah. um, who, who seems hell-bent on focusing on the lack of uh, control on what she calls you know, dangerous misinformation that runs rampant on the site, uh, which seems really strange to people like us who have been endlessly banned, blocked, throttled, censored. Uh, just recently, journalist Glenn Greenwald tweeted that the Facebook, quote, whistleblower Francis Hogan is a vital media and political asset because she advances their quest for greater control over online discourse. Their aim is not to erode Facebook and Google's vast power, but to transfer it to themselves for their own use. So I, I know you're not one who dives too deep into the world of conspiracies, um, but do you think, what do you think the odds are that this whistleblower uh, is in fact a plant or somebody being propped up by the establishment? You know, I can go both ways on this because it would be absolutely naive to say that these situations don't exist, that these things aren't crafted. Like, look at the history of the U.S. government and big media. You know, it, I, it would be super naive. But at the same time, I see how locked into these delusional ideologies people are. You know, they are so terrified. They are so caught up in establishment narratives that I, I genuinely think it could go either way. So either this person is, you know, has been really like psychologically abused by the narratives and by this false reality, this like upside down world that we used to be able to fight with, with media and writing and content. Um, and they genuinely believe it. Or I mean, you know, again, and this is all just speculation. We can't really say. And that's what's so frustrating is that things are kept so secret and under wraps that it's, well, how can you prove it? You know, it's going to be years and years and years, if ever. But I think it's the same thing. Like what I'm talking about, it's the same dynamic with, with any article, with any propaganda, because I think there absolutely are editors and even journalists. Like it, this is open history. The CIA has admitted. New York Times journalists have written books on this. Yes, the media was colluding with the U.S. government. A lot of them really thought that they were being patriotic. They thought that they were serving their country by working with the CIA, by manipulating narratives and information at the CIA's behest. They really thought they were doing the right thing. Absolutely. And there are also malicious actors who know that they're being shady, who know that they're being exploitative, who know that they are being dishonest and they're doing it for power. So I think it, it's both ways because, I've you know, some of the COVID reporting in the mainstream media, it is so dripping with sensationalism and apocalyptic, catastrophic, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm sure some of those journalists really believe it. I'm sure they are completely terrified in their bones and they think they are doing the public a service. And there are plenty of editors and outlets that know what's going to get clicked, you know, or. You know, we don't even need, who knows the whole COVID thing. We, I, I don't have anti-media anymore. So it's not like I've been in the news, like reporting on this constantly. So I don't want to act like I have a very refined take on the last year or two of media coverage. But every time I see it, I'm just like, what? Like, how, how is this reality? How is this considered journalism? And we're banned. Like, I don't, it makes no sense to me. But again, to, to circle back, is that what, what the press secretary says? Circle back? To circle back. <laughs> um, she I never does, could, though. Right now, exactly. She never <laughs> does. Um, I, I think it, it could go either way, but I wouldn't discount either, whether it's good intentions wrapped up in indoctrination or or actual malicious 
propaganda, but both exist. But like by all counts, it's just in this specific situation, it could go either way. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I think that like either Francis Haugen is like a useful idiot who maybe really believed this, um, but she's she's the perfect uh, catalyst to what the establishment media and big tech wanted. You know, the yeah. government like even even Facebook already came out and said that they like they agree with her. You know, <laughs> when, right? when she blew the whistle like the um, Lena Peach, uh, I think she's the the head of the Facebook's policy communications on communications. She came out and like, for like her, she issued a statement saying that you know like we don't agree with what she said, but we do agree on one thing: it's time we create a standard of rules for the internet. Like seriously, that's what we need is Facebook creating <laughs> the rules for the internet. Can you imagine how horrifying that would be? Oh my God! It, it's it's uh yeah this this thing just hold this it's like it reeks of inside job. I know we don't you know it's all speculations like we keep saying, but I mean this girl was basically unheard of and now she has a certified Twitter account, you know, mm -hmm. within just days. She has a certified Twitter account with 60,000 plus followers. You know, uh Glenn Greenwald said that uh that she's being advised by like a former former Obama um like legal counsel. Like this is that's not a whistleblower. We look at whistleblowers and like like real whistleblowers who actually, you know, have an effect on something that's not that doesn't benefit the establishment they're in jail or they're exiled, like, you know, like Snowden or Julian Assange or even the uh, reality winner, you know, like, even though she, like a lot of what she said, you know, kind of benefited the establishment, she still went to prison for that, you know, or, yeah. or they, they, they end up sued or, uh, you know, or blacklisted from the entire industry. Like we had on last, uh, last podcast, we had Ryan Hartwig, who was an actual Facebook insider whistleblower who exposed like massive censorship and that, that actually benefited the establishment. And he's, you know, he's not getting uh, congressional testimonies. In fact, no one in the mainstream actually even gave him the time of day. He had to go to, to like project Veritas, you know, and they have a less than stellar past when it comes to credibility. But like, that was, his, that was the only outlet that would, that would listen to him. Right. And yeah, so it's, it's, you know, like e either she is playing this this role of of a useful idiot, or this was all planned. But it doesn't matter. The end game is the same thing. You know, we're gonna have some kind of internet regulation department. You know, and that's yeah. that's gonna be really bad. And you know, we've seen this in the works the whole time. You know, like but like you mentioned earlier, the um what, what the, the digital um forensics research lab. Yeah, digital okay. forensics research lab. You mentioned them. And I mean, that's been, you know, that, that, that's what kind of, we always bring up how people claim that Facebook is a private company, but you know, with you, if you look at the ties and the, the actual partnering with the, uh, with the Atlantic council through that subsidiary, uh, it, it completely ob obliterates that, that statement because the Atlantic council, which in the digital forensic research lab is a, an a arm of is directly funded by the U S government. And, uh, you know, a whole slew of um, of big pharma insiders, uh, the Lockheed Martin, Boeing, you know, all these these uh, military industrial complex insiders, these uh, tyrannical dictators across the planet. You know, the, and this is the ones these are the people that are advising Facebook on what information that they can keep and what information they could they could let go, you know, and it's hard to not see that they were behind our purge you know, three years ago, because 
you know, but you and uh, and the Free Thought Project and a bunch of other these other platforms or uh, other um, outlets, we were all banned on both Twitter and Facebook. You know, in if it would have just day. been like, yeah, on the same yeah. day, within hours, right? <laughs> yeah. And we also got a um, we also got a hit on YouTube that day too. You know, so I remember, yeah. Yeah. So like it, it, you know, it's hard not to see this as some big conspiracy, you know, against uh, against those media outlets like us who challenge the status quo. It, what, what do you think about all that? The Digital Forensics Research Lab and, and their role in, in guiding Facebook to allow certain information and disallow other information? Yeah, you know, it's hard to say because, again, it's also under wraps. It's also cagey. But like, it's also not surprising, you know, this is the stuff that we reported on. This is the stuff we cared about. All of this collusion, all of these powerful, violent entities, all of these corrupt companies and institutions, because I think Atlantic Council, correct me if I'm wrong, or somebody fact check me, I think they are an extension of NATO. And we know what NATO does yes. around the world, you know, and how NATO was involved in, I don't know, like Libya. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just so frustrating because... I really felt that we were making progress. Like I remember being at a spin studio in Los Angeles and I was wearing my anti-media shirt and this girl at the spin class, which is so normy, it's spin, you know, she was like, <laughs> she was like, I know that outlet. And I was like, no way. Like I'm, I'm the editor. It was so cool. You know, like we were reaching, we weren't just reaching fringe people. We were reaching mainstream people. Like I would see, I had a family member who's very much like a leftist sharing free thought project means you know and it's it's so hard to to not have some inkling of belief that it's because we were a threat you know and of course benefit of the doubt to these horrible documented awful corrupt institutions we got swept up in a in a well-intentioned effort to save democracy but i think that that's something that and i can't speak to their thoughts on this but for a long time we we confirmed people's suspicions and reality that, hey, maybe democracy is not working. Maybe this is not the most effective system that serves the people, you know? And I find it so interesting that so much of their narrative was rooted in, we have to save democracy. This is the peak way to organize humanity. This is the only, you know, it's always sold that way, whether it's public school, whether it's politicians, whether it's the Washington Post, whether it's the CIA, it's always democracy, 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 not, hey, how how can we push humanity forward? Let's have some ideas. No, democracy is the end point, and anyone who questions it is not safe. They're not allowed. Even though, again, it's like this gaslighting. It's like, hey, look around. What have been the consequences of democracy? It's not great. We ended up here. You know, it's like the Lysander Spooner take of like, well, whether the Constitution really be one thing or another, this much is certain. It is either authorized with such a government as we have had or has been powerless to prevent it. So why are we sitting around acting like this is the only workable system when the people who have abused, who have abused these ideals, who have run it into the ground, who have proven that it is not workable and it does not serve the people it taxes and it exploits to maintain? Why? Why is this the, the peak, the peak idea of human progress? And I think that both of us, both of our outlets really effectively challenged that. You know, aside from the consequences of democracy, it was democracy itself. And that clearly is not allowed because you're not allowed to say like that's not even a conversation that the only like, as far as the, the opposition to Trump, the fake opposition, as far as I'm concerned in the corporate media, it was always he's threatening democracy. He is a fascist 
and democracy must be saved. And now, of course, it has been saved because Joe Biden is president. But, you know, where where's the talk of it now? It's still who's the threat? Oh, it's those evil right wingers. It's those evil people. You know, and I was put on a list just recently or last year. Um, it wasn't like it was a study and it wasn't like a viral study, but it was by somebody in an ivory tower who did a, an analysis of the right wing echo chamber and the, you know, the pathway to extremism. And I was put on it in the same category of, as Fox News. And it's like, what kind of mindset do you have to be in to believe that someone who talks about police brutality and the empire and protecting innocent life and corporatism, like how how far down the delusional rabbit hole of statism and indoctrination can you be that you could compare me to that? You know, but well, she's an expert. So I guess I, I'm just a right wing extremist who who drives people toward toward dangerous radicalism. And like, yeah, in a way it is dangerous radicalism. It's just not the way they're categorizing it. That's crazy. What was the what was the study or who did that that, that put you on this? Uh, I'd have to look it up, um, but it's in a video on my YouTube channel, which for now is still up uh, and it's on my Instagram as well. And it's called How I Became a Right Wing Extremist. And it's it's in that video. I can get you guys the link if you want it. OK. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I'm sure the listeners are going to want to see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought up that point, though, Carrie, because the 800 accounts and pages that were taken down during our purge October 11th, 2018, you know, it wasn't just the right. It wasn't just uh, people, you know, disagreeing with certain establishment narratives. It was people um, completely disavowing the system, talking about, you know, how the system is a fraud and and, and basically just calling it out. So, I mean, yeah, it was just it wasn't just the right. It was the left as well. And um, Rolling Stone did a, a good job in the article that they covered to to kind of highlight both sides. And yeah. I know a lot of times the right wants to try to claim that they're the only right. people being censored. And that's certainly not true. But um, right after the purge happened, uh, Matt actually wrote an awesome article all about why Facebook is anything but private. And th I think in that article, he went in depth as far as all the people and, and groups and organizations that actually fund Atlanta Council. I brought it up really quick. So it's uh, manufacturers like Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, <laughs> Boeing, uh, billionaire oligarchs, um, HSBC Group, uh, <laughs> who have been caught numerous times laundering money for cartels and ter ter terrorists. And um, also Big Pharma is in on the list, uh, Google. <laughs> Uh, the U.S. Army and the Air Force. So, yeah, the fact that Facebook has partnered with this uh, Atlanta Council, I mean, that's uh, should be a huge red flag for anybody who's paying attention. Um, but going back just for a second, um, one of the things that the newest Facebook whistleblower touched on, which I think is kind of important, um, it was through Facebook's own internal research, it showed that Instagram was damaging teenagers' mental health. And uh, I think the documentary, uh, The Social Dilemma, uh, covered mm -hmm. that. Something we've known for a while, but we agree that it's something that should be acknowledged and studied. So, you know, as far as that um, aspect, you know, I, I feel like she had some legitimate concerns there. And of course, that's how it, you know, propaganda is always rolled out. It's always coupled right. with some truth. Um, but, you know, they, they censor projects. They censor uh, outlets like Project Veritas and other whistleblowers like Ryan Hartwig. Um, who we recently did an interview with in our previous podcast. Uh, definitely check that out, Free Thinkers. And there's been multiple Facebook whistleblowers in the past, too, like Christopher Wiley. Uh, he was the guy who exposed the Cambridge Analytica scandal. 
Um, neither of you know, these people have received even a fraction of the same attention. So like, why is it different this time? You know, and these are things that you should be asking yourselves. These are questions that people should, you know, hopefully you, you've kind of gone, you know, you've done enough research to that these questions are just your spidey sense that just kind of naturally mm-hmm. pop up. But um, it, it's interesting that the mainstream media props up a whistleblower who's attacking a private company but gave mixed coverage and a lot of negative coverage to government government whistleblowers like uh, Daniel Hale, Edward Snowden, and Julian Assange. Yeah, I mean, I, I like you said, like this shouldn't be surprising to anybody. But it, you know, just look at what's happening with Assange right now. The Biden administration is still trying to extradite him, and it's like, why? If he didn't he save democracy? Didn't everybody who voted for him just save democracy? Why is it? Why? Why must someone who exposed war crimes, arguably, under George W. Bush, an evil Republican who apparently is now a media darling because he has, you know, he said mean things about Donald Trump and, and you know, he's he's worried about democracy and whatever. Like, why? If Mr. Joe Biden cares so much, why? Why? And he cared about the free press and he cared about all of these values that, you know, to me are just propaganda slogans. Again, I'm and I'm just adding on to what you're saying. I'm not adding any new revelations, but it's just back to that hypocrisy and gaslighting. Suddenly they care about about free speech and information, you know, and I remember just, I don't know, a couple months ago when uh, I can't say her name correctly. That's why I just call her the press secretary. Is it Saki? I don't know how to say her name, but that evil, wonderful manipulator. She just openly said, yeah, we're working with, with Facebook to have them take information down. Imagine if Donald Trump had said that. Imagine. And it's the same thing with the vaccines. It's like when Donald Trump was president. Oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't dare take that. The second he's out, the same vaccine must be mandated. And I think it just speaks to the collective hysteria we're seeing. And it's on both sides. Um, You know, like it's like you said, you mentioned it, Jason, of just like how conservatives like to act like they're the only people censored. You know, they're such victims. But then you look at how many conservative commentators are still on there spouting their own version of statism, you know, like they're not the only victims. And like you said, there were people on the left who were also purged just because they were too anti-establishment. And that's the thing, like their their reactions to anti-establishment, even rhetoric are so profound. And that's and I'm kind of just turning conversation here, but it's it's one of my pet peeves is people like to say, oh, well, Donald Trump obviously was anti-establishment because look how the media reacted. Okay, was Bernie Sanders really anti-establishment, that career politician who was also completely shut down by the media? Literally, all you have to do is question the system rhetorically, and you can have a track record that completely shows that you are part of the system, but the average voter is not going to check that. They're just going to hear nice words, and they're going to go, oh, yeah, that guy cares, and the media will still shut you down. Like That's how restrictive it is, and that's how that's how quick they are to jump at anybody who questions the system. And, you know, I'm just repeating myself at this point, but it is, it is demoralizing to see, but it's also in a way encouraging because it shows how terrified they are. Like there's so much skepticism of the system under the surface. And there are a lot of people who maybe don't post on social media. They aren't vocal about it, but they know, and they see it and they understand what's happening. And I do think that the gatekeepers know this and that's why they're clamping down so hard. Yeah, we can see it on on both the left and the right. I really can't stand when people like conservatives say that it's only conservatives who are censored. You know, we we did a story um, on Mother Jones. Actually, they they were cheerleading the banning of Alex Jones in that August of 2018. And, you know, like a year later, they found themselves on the same end of that censorship arm. 
you know, so that's what that's what happens. These <laughs> all these people that are cheering on the censorship and mandates and everything, you know, they 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 think that they're part of this club that 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 they get because it's benefiting them temporarily. They think they're part of this club that they're going to reap benefits and you know and and societal points for the rest of their lives because their <laughs> their their side is winning you know when in essence is they're they're helping to create this establishment that's going to come back and and it'll be a horror for everybody involved not you know regardless if you helped usher it in the 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 thing that's being ushered in is not something that anybody's going to benefit by or from except for the people at the very top of it and i can't the fact that people don't see that is is mind blowing to me you know there's this silly quote that those who don't um understand history are doomed to repeat it and I see people saying that all the time, but I don't think any of these people actually understand that quote, you know, like, or they right. would be doing something about this. They'd be speaking out about it. And, and instead we're, we're, we're captured in our little two party paradigm. And as people just bicker about the, this guy's politician said that, or this side's politician said that, and, and no one's posing solutions, you know, like outside, like what you said earlier, you know, like outside of this system that we've created that we we refer to as democracy, which is actually just a, a you know, it's a two party dictatorship. Yeah. And actually, I love that quote. And it reminded me of another quote. I think it's Goth, which, again, I'm probably saying incorrectly, but, it, you know, none are so hopelessly enslaved as those who believe they're free. It might be falsely believe they're free. I'm paraphrasing. But you look yeah. at all these people who think, oh, well, I can vote out fascism. Yeah, I'm free. I have power. I'm empowered. I have agency. And that keeps them locked into this propaganda loop because, of course, you know, most people do tend to lean left or right. And most people, unfortunately, are still locked into the into the establishment narratives and they think they're the opposition, even though they're back. You know, the people peddling these views are backed by all these institutions we've been talking about this entire time. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who went right back to sleep as soon as they found out that Joe Biden was in office and he saved democracy, despite his track record, despite the fact that he has perpetuated so many, and I don't want to say single-handedly, but he has contributed to perpetuating so many of the issues that created the problems that led to Donald Trump being in power. And yet they think everything's fine. And the same thing went with Donald Trump. When Donald Trump won, it was like, well, he can do no wrong. He's going to save us from the evil Democrats. And again, we're free because we voted. We're free because our guy who commits all these crimes that we don't care to look into or don't care to acknowledge, well, now we're free. And again, it's it's history repeating itself. It's, it's the delusional and un indoctrinated belief that because I can vote, I am free. I, again, it's, and again, this is the stuff that we combated. These are the, the deeply ingrained narratives. Aside from all the facts about the system, we questioned the legitimacy of the system itself. And I think that like again, speculation. I think that's one of the reasons we were not allowed to continue reaching people the way we had been. I think yeah. it's also important to acknowledge that even people within our own circles, even within liberty movement, aren't immune from uh, groupthink. And so, I mean, totally. Even, even the people who know that Facebook is a total shit show, that it's a mainstream uh, social media service, it, they know that there's collusion between the government. Even people who call themselves anarchists uh, continue to stay on Facebook. And <laughs> to me, it, it's kind of like a big question mark, kind of a head scratcher, you know? It's like, why do we continue to stay on there? Uh, Facebook has 3.5 billion monthly active users. Um, according to a Business Insider 2017 article, um, Facebook and Google completely dominate the ad industry. No, they. I think it was something like 72% of the ad industry. The Wall Street Journal article claims that Facebook, Google, and Amazon now collect more than half of all ad dollars spent in the U.S. 
not even previous whistleblowers have had any type of effect on Facebook's bottom line. I mean, even all these scandals that, you know, the media constantly um, comes up with or even, you know, focuses on, it doesn't seem like people are moving away from Facebook uh, in large numbers. Uh, we, we see a, a, a gradual migration to some of these smaller platforms, but um, will anything stop these big tech giants? And do you believe that Facebook will ever go the way of MySpace? Uh, you know, part of me is super optimistic. Part of me is super pessimistic because if you have seen that documentary, The Social Dilemma, I disagree with a lot of the conclusions toward the end. But, you know, it, it seems pretty objectively true that these apps, especially Facebook, are crafted to confirm people's realities. And I think there is an addiction to that. People want to see what they believe and they want to be told it's true and they're right. And those other people are wrong and bad and evil and stupid and they're good and righteous. So I think in that sense, it is very addicting. But I also think there is going to come a point, I, and I genuinely believe this, I really hope it's true because I've experienced it myself. I do think that the anxiety, the neuroses, the just dissatisfaction that comes with being on social media all day, especially in the way it's crafted, the way it's so contentious, the way it is so divisive, I really hope that there's going to come a time where people's mental health is just like, no, I cannot do this anymore. Because I've kind of been experiencing that like the last few weeks, I've not been on social much because I'm paying attention to my body. I'm like, oh, this does not feel good. Like even when I feel like I'm right or I see a post I agree with or I post something, it gets a lot of likes. Like the way it manifests in my body is not comfortable. And I, I literally like my body has said no, you know, <laughs> like I feel the urge to go on these apps and my, I feel my body bubbling up with like anxiety and tension. I'm like, you know what? Not today. I need a break. I need to get off. This is not, it's not even a voluntary, I mean, it's voluntary, it's, it's all happening within me, but my body is like putting its foot down of like, no, this is too much simulation, you need to stop. And I would love to believe that there is going to be this sort of visceral reaction to the way people have been manipulated and constantly agitated and triggered. I could be wrong, could very well be wrong, but, but the hopeful part of me wants to believe that just on a consciousness level that something has to give and something has to change. I'm, I share that optimism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that you know the more and more I think that the 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 main like this this whole Facebook whistleblower charade and everything that's happening right now, I think it's happening because they are losing control. They try they banned us because they were losing control, but now there's more and more people. I I think that are realizing you know that the the man behind the the curtain is uh you know has none of their interests involved or in, in mind. And and so it's just the credibility like Glenn Greenwald tweeted out uh, the the recent numbers from like mainstream media media viewership. And, you know, they're like the Don Lemon and, and Anderson Cooper and all these people that are like these mainstream icons who it gets cheerleaded by the left and all. They have almost no viewership. You know, they're talking like yeah. five or six hundred thousand viewers when the Free Thought Project, you know, I'm not sure what the Animedia was doing at the same at back in that day, but. You know, we were doing 50 to 60 million, um, you know, views and interactions a week, a week, a week. And and these people can't pull in 600,000 views. Right. I have the, so, I have the like screenshots that, to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, true. that's what you know, that's what they're scared of. And I, I think that even though they keep trying to clamp down, they do this more censorship. I, I, uh, I don't think it's working. You know, granted, the, there's not been this mass awakening or anything, but it's like. You know the 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 sleeping giant that would be this mass awakening mm -hmm. is starting to open one eye and and right. you know it's 
And the establishment definitely fears that. And that's why they're trying to make to move to make all these different regulations and everything. And I just, you know, like I see like if they do put some new Internet Department of Internet regulation <laughs> out there, you know, which is probably coming. Yeah. I just think that the market's going to react and we'll have like it'll be like AOL CDs all over again. You know, you just load up your blockchain CD and your computer and then you get on the real Internet without <laughs> these fucking idiots spying on you and, you know, and, 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 and manipulating you via algorithm. So I think that that's like that's the future. And, and that's that's what that's how everything's pretty much been going. You know, we've been trending in this direction for a century, you know, and uh, I think with the today's information age that. I don't think we could go back to box cars and 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 mm-hmm. you know concentration camps. I don't. I, I like to remain optimistic enough to think that that's not a reality, even though they literally are building some. But like <laughs> you know, I, but the, the resistance to that is too big to to actually um, you know to 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 come to come to like into fruition. I mean, outside of Australia, obviously. But even there, look at what's going on. It's amazing. You know, the people are out in the streets and they're actually fighting back, physically fighting back. Yeah. And I, I mean, they've been pushed to that. They've been pushed to that state where they have to. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you. I'm glad you have the same optimistic uh, optimism, Carrie. That's that's good to know. Yeah, you guys too. And you know, we've been through a lot together. Mm-hmm. You know, since that happened before we were banned, it, it wasn't easy work. It was trying work. And just to add on to that optimism, I do think the more they clamp down, the more they try to kick people off and blacklist them. That's only going to radicalize people further. Do I agree with all the people being radicalized? Absolutely not. There's some very nefarious and hateful people out there who are convinced that they're right because they've been banned. But there's also people like us. Do you think that us getting banned is going to make us revert to statism? No, I think not. I think that, you know, that I think the more obvious it becomes that they're trying to strangle dissident thought, whatever it may be, all they do is push these conversations away from places where people can be as affected by the mainstream propaganda. So really, it just, you know, as these alternative platforms grow, like Telegram has blown up, you know, Signal got a bunch of downloads when Facebook went down. So there are going to be other ways to communicate and to spread ideas. And cool, thanks for pushing people away from your propaganda system and into a more open conversation. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Thanks for making it easy on us. (laughs) <laughs> it's exactly. very difficult short term, but in the long term, I think it it's it's better for us than it is for them. I, I share in your guys' optimism. Ultimately, you know, it, it's hard watching some of the trends and we are on pretty much every social alternative social media platform you could think of. And yeah, it's been slow. You know, there's not a, a lot of momentum, but I do believe that people are being pushed into a corner and they're starting to recognize that there's just too much collusion between government and big tech. And they, they can't even express half the things they want to express anymore on their thoughts about COVID or, or any of these topics that, you know, the mainstream media claims narrative over. So it's just it's more than that, too. I, I think people are finally starting to realize that Facebook ultimately just pimps out their information. And, yeah. uh, you know, they get hit with these you know, ridiculous 30 day bans or, you know, they get strikes where they can't go live or all these various things. And a lot of these people are just normies, you know, they're not out here trying to post incendiary posts or make some type of sarcastic, snarky shit post. You know, I mean, these are people just sharing average, normal, everyday things. And for whatever reason, you know, their poorly coded algorithms and their faulty AI pick up on it and give them a, you know, a ban. So I do believe that Facebook is definitely overstepped um, and you know, they've, they've basically taken like a God complex, uh, you know, 
approach to this whole situation. And it, it's just, uh, I feel like it's going to backfire. But I, I know you only have a, a couple of minutes left here, Carrie. Um, we always try to, at the very end of our podcast, when we're talking about um, you know, very important topics. We always try to talk about some solutions. So I know you only have a few minutes, but is there anything you could think of off the top of your head, how we could kind of turn this train in the opposite direction and uh, maybe have a little bit more freedom within our, our daily social media usage? Yeah, absolutely. And we were kind of just talking about it, you know, like there are these alternative platforms. There's MeWe, there's Minds, there's Telegram, there's Signal. There's so many different ways to communicate and we really do need to be supporting them. And we also need to be supporting the independent media organizations that are still around. And I, this was always a struggle for us, you know, like people love the the news we put out, but nobody wants to pay for it. And then they get mad that we had ads, you know, <laughs> like we, we do have to start get, getting serious about, you know, if we want this information available, you do have to support the people providing it because the establishment is not going to let them make an income. You know, I think this has become very clear. It's what happened to us. And, you know, it is possible. And it, it, I think it really also comes down to decentralization. And this is the media. This is what we were doing. This is independent media. And there's still some great journalists out there doing great work. So it's that. But I think decentralization for everything, not just the media, for for food sources, for tech, for disruptive technology, for finance, you know, cryptocurrency. And look how the government is going after that. We really have to start engaging in these things that, that the media and the government and these corporate over, overlords want us to be afraid of, want us to, to ban, to censor. And the more people adopt these things and make tangible change, the easier that's going to be and the more it's going to help us evolve. Boom. <laughs> Drop the truth bomb. Well, at the end of the day, uh, we'll always win because you can't stop an idea whose time has come, right? Ron Paul used to always say that. And regardless of their infinite resources, their trillion dollar printing press, their tanks, their jets, their military, <laughs> the pendulum of liberty will always swing back towards the power of the people. And if you get discouraged, just remember, we are winning the war on information with just memes. <laughs> the hive mind of the Internet is a beautiful thing and it can't be stopped by any group or government. So thank you so much for your tireless work, Carrie, for all these you guys years. Too. You've you've invested into this fight. My kids, their kids, Matt's kids, <laughs> the next generation of kids, and and you, they're all they're all thanking you, as do all free thinkers around the globe. Uh, you're a powerhouse and probably one of the most important influencers on the internet. So thank you. <laughs> I feel the same for, way about you guys. Thank you for your time with us today and everything that you do. Thanks so much for having me on, and I am proud to be battle buddies with you guys. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>